everybody, welcome to the briefing room at ABC News on this Thanksgiving Eve. I'm Devin Dwyer at ABC News in Washington. Great to have Lana Zak with us, correspondent, and our deputy political director, Mary Alice Parks, here. We're talking food. Sharing recipes. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I'm frying a turkey. These <laughs> are some fantastic cooks, so we will share our favorite recipes of the meal at the end of the show. Stick around. Mm, You'll want to hear my favorite. Uh, meanwhile, though, some big news breaking just a few minutes ago. The uh, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Roberts making an extraordinary statement in direct response to something President Trump said yesterday. This is unusual because, as we all know, the Chief Justice has tended to stay away from politics, stay away from certainly responding directly to the President of the United States. But here's what uh, so struck him that he had to respond. This is President Trump yesterday responding to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decision against his asylum ban. <clears throat> Well, you go to the Ninth Circuit and it's a disgrace and I'm going to put in a major complaint because you cannot win, if you're us, a case in the Ninth Circuit. Because every case, no matter where it is, they file it practically, I mean practically, for all intents and purposes. They file it in what's called the Ninth Circuit. This was an Obama judge. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to happen like this anymore. An Obama judge, certainly a slam at the Ninth Circuit. That prompted Chief Justice Roberts today in an interview with the Associated Press to have this to say. He said, we do not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges. What we do have is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their best to do equal right to those appearing before them. That independent judiciary is something we should all be thankful for. Simply extraordinary to see the Supreme Court Chief Justice come out like this. He didn't have to weigh in, Lana. Well, to, that's what's uh, to the AP. Partially so interesting. Justice Roberts has made part of his um, his public persona one of reserve, of dignity, of trying to make sure that that uh, is maintained throughout um, the court. E even um, even when some other justices have have managed to go into the foray of politics and some of the political discourse. Roberts has kept himself more um, more as uh, as that independent jurist, which he, even now as he's saying a that... defender of the court's legacy, almost. Exactly, you know, exactly. He's the chief. Yeah. Right, he's the chief, and, and he is responsible in some ways for setting the tone. Um, and it's so interesting, too, that he uh, wants to separate the court from what we see as in the increasing politicization of that branch of government, that that is actually supposed to be, um, as he says, defenders of the Constitution, not, uh, not representatives of constituents. And this is something uh, he has spoken a lot about just most recently, a month ago, after the bruising battle over the newest Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Here's a little bit from the Chief Justice on exactly what Lana was talking about. I have great respect for our public officials. After all, they speak for the people. And that commands a certain degree of humility from those in the, of us in the judicial branch who do not. We do not speak for the people but we speak for the Constitution. Our role is very clear. We are to interpret the Constitution and laws of the United States and ensure that the political branches act within them. That job obviously requires independence from the political branches. And of course, the Constitution was set up where the judiciary would be a check 
on the administration, a check on the White House. And so it is remarkable there, just going back to fundamentals here, sort of fundamentals of American sort of systems of government, of government right. that the president would lash out against the judiciary instead of doing any self-reflection. Perhaps the reason that, that those policy proposals continue to get overturned in the court is that they are fundamentally, fundamentally illegal or unconstitutional. And that more of President Trump's actions, indeed, uh, potentially involvement in the Mueller probe could end up before this court makes this unusual as well. Uh, and, guys, and the Ninth Circuit isn't something just to sort of sneeze at. We're talking about one step below the Supreme Court. And, right. and let's talk about the Ninth Circuit, too. The president said something extraordinary in that soundbite where he's going to look into it. What does it mean that he's going to look into what the Ninth Circuit is doing? As the executive branch, he is supposed to be separate from the decisions that are coming from any, any of the legislative branch. Um, and the idea that he is going to look into it, I think, for people who are um, who are strict division separation of power folks, that's a frightening phrase. And of course, it's not just the issue of the independence of the judiciary that the president has tested, but he's also pushed that same boundary when it comes to the Department of Justice, mm -hmm. to our legal system, law enforcement. There was another major headline on that front uh, overnight in the New York Times. The Times reporting that the president just this spring, few months ago, yeah. ordered uh, the prosecution of Hillary Clinton, his former arrival, of course, and former FBI Director James Comey. Uh, he was he was brushed back by White House Counsel Don McGahn, Mary Alice. Uh, McGahn, like Roberts, has been somewhat of an institutionalist, a defender of, uh, of, of, of this branch of government, and says, Mr. President, you simply cannot do that. You cannot order the Justice Department to prosecute your enemies. I mean, according to those reports, he basically warned the president that the prosecution of political enemies um, would start to undermine sort of the bedrock of democracy, that, that our history has has shown time and time again that we have sort of a, a, a free and fair elections that move the political process along and that prosecutions are used as political tools. And let's bring in our White House correspondent, Tara Palmieri, who is with the president right now, who has begun his Thanksgiving vacation down in Florida. Tara, great to see you there. Looks like a beautiful day in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, you've been talking to White House <laughs> officials about uh, their reaction to this Times report. You know Don McGahn and his staff. Uh, give us your take mm. on, on what this report really signals about the president. Well, the president often flippantly talks about prosecuting Hillary Clinton, James Comey. It was a huge part of his campaign. He continued to talk about lock her up at the rallies. Um, so it's not really a surprise that in private, White House officials have told me many times he's mentioned the prospect of uh, prosecuting Hillary Clinton. He almost sees that as a campaign promise that he hasn't been able to fulfill. A campaign promise he hasn't been able to fulfill. He certainly didn't fulfill it. He didn't obviously order the Justice Department to, to prosecute these well, people. Well, if you believe the New York Times, though, he, he wanted, wanted to. to he wanted to do it. And to. I think that's what's striking many members of Congress, Mary Alice. Especially because the Justice Department did look into the issue. We know for, for a number of years, the Congress did too. Uh, we had special investigations, uh, tons of hearings, and, and reports issued by a Republican-appointed members of the Justice Department who came to conclusions that there was nothing there to prosecute. And Tara, it does seem uh, like this latest story, this episode, um, which is a flash and a long saga of this president challenging uh, some of the norms and conventions, is another sign of his growing infatuation with executive power. Uh, pardons right. executive orders to be just among the other things that he's grown, taken a liking to. 
Yes, he's certainly uh, testing the limits of executive power. You'll see a lot of that as well in terms of executive privilege when we get into the new congressional term. And you see a lot of energy coming from the House Democrats trying to subpoena certain documents, communications from the White House. He'll try as, as much as he can to fight for executive privilege. And those fights may end up in the Supreme Court, which brings us back to our last topic. And, you know, a lot of people are looking towards uh, Chief Justice Roberts to, to wonder, is he a truly nonpartisan judge? How will he uh, how will he decide in these cases where it's the president versus the Congress on what he should hand over when these investigations really heat up and there are subpoenas that likely are fought out in the Supreme Court? And Tara, remind everyone what the president wanted to investigate Hillary Clinton for, and is the timing of that coinciding with the time of, uh, of Ivanka Trump, the revelation that Ivanka Trump was using her personal email account? Is it curious that, that this report is coming out now? Right. I mean, President Trump has always made the argument that he thought that the Clintons were criminals, not just Hillary Clinton for her use of the uh, emails. He attacked her for um, how her aides destroyed some of the servers, how these emails have gone missing. Um, you know, he's also made attacks against her husband as well. Yes, it is an interesting timing why he would want to draw more attention to that um, when his own daughter was accused of improperly using emails by using a private email account for White House business. Um, you know, you got to wonder, is this crooked Ivanka? That's what he, that's why he dubbed Hillary Clinton crooked Hillary because of the emails. Um, but he says that all of her emails have been documented, unlike Hillary Clinton's emails, which are no, no longer um, accessible, and that if there are questions, she'll hand them over. All right, Tara Palmieri for us down in, uh, in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. Thank you so much, Tara. Have a good Thanksgiving. We'll see you on the other side. Uh, guys, the other big story that is continuing to cause reverberations in this town is the president's uh, statements about Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia yesterday, pretty extraordinary in light of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, a writer with The Washington Post. The president trying to shut down any talk uh, of penalties against Saudi Arabia for that basically boils down to two words. In his view, jobs and oil, mm -hmm. he tweeted, just a little while ago this morning about uh, oil prices here on this holiday weekend, uh, much lower. That is a true statement, uh, about $54 a barrel. We fact-checked that. That's about right. Uh, lowest in a long time. Not so sure that's due directly, Mary Alice, to the actions of Saudi Arabia as much as it is a, a, a burgeoning supply right now worldwide. There, there's a lot of things that impact oil prices. And it's worth noting, too, that, that oil prices have been tracking down for quite some time. Um, but, you know, I think you're exactly right. The president has taken this crisis and made it purely about transactions with Saudi Arabia, has said that what matters most to him is that business relationship between his government and the Saudi government. And that matters more in his eyes than the life of this American-based journalist. And, and, and we should say, Lana, we should continue this fact check, and I know you've been tracking this as well, the president not just talking about the oil prices, but the jobs that the U.S. business relationship with Saudi Arabia has been creating. He's used some pretty inflated numbers, yeah. says $100 billion, $10 billion in arms deals between the U.S. and Saudi, mm -hmm. 450,000 jobs, American jobs, he says, would be created. That simply doesn't hold water. The, those numbers are uh, perhaps best characterized as wishful thinking by mm. the president. Uh, and, and I think that even if it was true, um, there is something that's worth us 
really putting a pause button on. And, and there are lots of conservative allies of the president that are doing the same thing, saying that it's not at the point at which you you make the case as president of the United States that you do not care ultimately uh, whether or not the the Saudi royal family was behind the murder of this writer um, with the Washington Post, if there's enough money behind it, you're essentially telling the world that the United States values, uh, our integrity is up for sale, and I and that is something that is very concerning. And so it, one of the one of the president's partners and so many other things, Senator Lindsey Graham, has come out saying that that the Senate, for their part, uh, and conservatives in the Senate are going to. Continue um, to hold Saudi Arabia accountable for the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, and uh, the president's desire then to to say how good these jobs are and how much uh, money could potentially come into the United States are, besides the fact check, absolutely irrelevant. And certainly, uh, we um, will dig a little bit more into that. Uh, though the president is on the other side of this, getting a little bit of backing from his defense secretary, who just a little while ago spoke to reporters, backing the president up on his position on Saudi Arabia. Uh, he didn't do it on camera, but we do have some of the quotes. Take a look. He said on the Khashoggi affair, presidents don't always get the freedom to work with unblemished partners in all things. He went on to say uh, that he didn't think the CIA assessment had been fully baked. He said what's going on in Yemen, of course the Saudi war in Yemen, uh, it is unacceptable, needs to be ended as soon as possible. We're going to deal with the Saudis. If you want to deal with the Saudis, he said, and end this war. You've got to deal with them. And that's uh, true. He's very pragmatic about that's this. That's true. Absolutely. If you look at, uh, at at history, there have been lots of deals cut with uh, some pretty bad actors, and and one can even say, arguably, um, that that a lot of the negotiations with North Korea fall into that same bucket. Um, but. There is something different about making it so public and so overt that it is tied to the finances uh, of the United States that make the president's comments right now different. And, and, and we just don't know how the rest of the world is going to respond now the president's given that level of green light. And let's go over to the White House now where our Jordan uh, Phelps is standing by. She's been reporting on this story, uh, talking to White House officials there. Jordan, uh, let's pick up where Mary Alice left off there. What are you hearing from White House officials about how this policy, how this position from the president came about? Why did we see this statement this week when we did? Um, and what's behind all this? Yeah, Devin, it is what it is. That's what President Trump said yesterday. And that kind of sums up the position the White House is taking on this. They want to move on from this story altogether. This has been an inconvenient storyline for this White House uh, for a long time. Uh, the president, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, have a very close relationship uh, with the Saudi royal family. Uh, this, Saudi Arabia was, you know, the first place uh, Kushner tried to take the president abroad. Uh, and so they want to keep this strong alliance going. Um, and what's really striking here, Devin, is that the president is saying, like, we will never know. Uh, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But the president's really on an island here. Uh, as we've been pointing out, the CIA has uh, concluded basically that he played some role. Uh, we know that, you know, the, the contrast with... Um, with Lindsey Graham is really striking. So the president really on his own out here, uh, wanting to keep doing business with, with Saudi Arabia. 
And we know that he'll meet uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, uh, in right. just, just about a week's time down in Buenos Aires, the G20 summit in Mary Alice. Uh, ahead of that, Congress is coming back. They're expected right out of the gate next week to uh, take some action. There are a number of bills on the floor already. Right, like what I was talking about, really moving <clears throat> forward with some heavy sanctions against the Saudi government. And it's just, it, it strikes me that this administration that's so um, used to pointing fingers and placing blame, you know, earlier this week we were talking about those fire, the fires out in California, unbelievable deadly fires, and the president blaming the forest brush and forest mismanagement. And now here's one story where Congress is saying, could we please point a finger? Could we please back up the intelligence community that's pointing a finger? And that's exactly what he does. And their argument do. is, in large part, you can do both things. You can stay friends with Saudi Arabia. You can also uh, hold, them hold them accountable with some sanctions. We'll see if they can actually do that. Of course, the president would have to sign, in theory, Any. potentially, uh, anything. Uh, speaking of Capitol Hill and uh, the Democratic majority coming in in the House side, at least, a big development happening just in the last 24 hours. The uh, one and only challenger to uh, who would be House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, has bowed out. She has now apparently dropped her challenge to the Speaker. That's Marsha Fudge, you see there, of Ohio, uh, had brokered a deal with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, this is pretty significant, guys, because... Um, with, with her bowing out, there's really no one left, despite that list of 16 House Democrats who signed a letter saying they oppose her. Yeah, this is a big blow to that group. They were really uh, hoping that she would throw her name officially in the race. If those 16 Democrats have any chance at really foiling uh, the speakership of Nancy Pelosi, the potential speakership there, they have to have another name to vote for. The math doesn't work if they only vote present or they don't show up. They would all have to coalesce behind some other name. Uh, that's still their plan, to offer a different name, maybe force a second ballot, create some, some drama and some chaos there, potentially encouraging someone else to run in the last few moments. But right now, no one's stepping up. And, and Lana, just to remind folks at home why we're so fixated on the speaker race and Nancy Pelosi, no doubt an icon in American politics, but that position, Speaker of the House, is actually quite powerful. It's quite powerful, and it is going to be absolutely instrumental uh, when we're looking at the presidential election in 2020. Remember, Nancy Pelosi, her name was invoked as a kind of boogeyman out on the campaign trail, particularly uh, by the president, but also by, uh, by other Republicans who were saying, if you vote for a Democrat, you're going to be handing the gavel to Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and so some Democrats, those 16, wanted to, to try and head off that argument. Um, and remember, she had faced a, a really a significant challenge to her leadership after they lost the House in the last election uh, in, uh, in 2016. At that point, it really seemed like Democrats were mobilizing uh, to potentially offer up a challenger to Nancy Pelosi, and it is just falling apart right now. Though I was, um, I was speaking uh, with uh, Utah's most recent congressman, uh, the Democratic con Congressman Ben McAdams, just a little bit ago. He was one of those 16 names, with so many others falling by the wayside, uh, saying that they are now going to support Pelosi. Would he change his mind, especially since he represents, as a Democrat, probably the most conservative district in the nation. Uh, and he says he is still holding firm to the idea that they need new leadership in the Democratic 
Democratic and Party. And we'll see if the rubber hits the road when the uh, when the vote is actually held. The caucus, the Democratic caucus, uh, will vote for their pick to be speaker uh, just next week after Thanksgiving, and then the, the full vote uh, on the House floor happens in January. We're just also learning now that a uh, very prominent Democrat elect, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who had shown some willingness to support mm -hmm. Nancy Pelosi, is now more forcefully coming out uh, from the progressive wing of the party, saying she's she'd be okay with the speaker, Nancy Pelosi. And there's a similarity between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Marsha Fudge, who we were just talking about. In both instances, they got sort of awards for backing Speaker Pelosi, or potential Speaker Pelosi's bid for the speakership. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said that she would set up select committees, special committees, to work on the projects that matter a lot to them, uh, a select committee on energy independence and global warming, and another one that Marsha Fudge will chair on voting rights security and so and um, a passion of hers. That mm -hmm. We're seeing that kind of let's make a deal Congress style taking place between which, now and January. Which I think rubs everybody in the nation the wrong way. If you're not Your a... vote can be bought with Right, the if you're not an inside <laughs> beltway person and you hear uh, somebody say, absolutely, we need change, and then they've, they're going to get a chairmanship, so now they're supporting Pelosi, that's, that's the sort of thing that uh, I think um, people from Iowa, like myself, don't always think sounds it's it's exactly fun, right. It's going to be a fun race to watch to the finish in the Democratic Party. Uh, continues next week for sure. Uh, meanwhile, over on the Senate uh, side of the equation here, we have a little bit more drama. The one and only uh, debate in the Mississippi Senate race, the, the one race that's still undecided from the 2018 midterms, happened last night between C uh, Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith, Democrat Mike Espy, who's running to be the first African-American senator from Mississippi since Reconstruction. They faced off, and center stage, as you guys know full well, is this issue of race and some incendiary comments that Cindy Hyde-Smith made about a public hanging. Here's what she had to say about that in Mike Espy's response. There has never been anything, not one thing in my background to ever <clears throat> indicate I had ill will toward anyone. I've never been hurtful to anyone. I've always tried to help everyone. I also recognize that this comment was twisted and it was turned into a weapon to be used against me, a political weapon used for nothing but personal and political gain by my opponent. That's the type of politics Mississippians are sick and tired of. Yes, the comments were live. Uh, you know, it came out of your mouth. And uh, I don't know what's in your heart, but we all know what came out of your mouth. And it went viral you know, within the first three minutes around the world. And so it's caused our state harm. It's given our state another black eye that we don't need. It's just rejuvenated the old stereotypes you know, that we don't need anymore. Mary Alice, at the end of the day, whether it was well intended, whether it was a joke, uh, these were no accident. These comments about public hanging in Mississippi throughout the civil rights era had the most public lynchings of any state in the country. So this has really struck a nerve in that state. Exactly. She has tried to say that it was just sort of a flippant expression, that she was making a joke. Uh, and, and yet you have an African-American candidate up there on the Democratic side saying, of all the expressions to use, that one not appropriate in mm. our state. And, and she's really getting a lot of flack for it, not only there among politicians, there on the debate stage, but in the private sector, too. A number of leading American companies pulling um, any support, making sure that she doesn't get to use any Walmart, of their, Walmart, asking for I mean, their money back. And yeah. that's like in the South, Walmart in the South. We're talking about big heads of sort of politics and business uh, really really having an issue with, with her candidacy right now. And Lana, the question really becomes, I think, 
will this affect turnout? Will this mobilize and energize Democrats to come out and support Mike Espy? Uh, how will Republicans, independents in Mississippi, deep red state, no question, right. how will they respond to this comment? And also these images of Cindy Hyde-Smith uh, being at photographed with right. symbols of the Confederacy. Right. It all kind of goes together. Mississippi history at its best, I think she captioned that, uh, that picture on Twitter. Uh, let's... Let's look at how, how close they were before this runoff. Um, Cindy Hyde-Smith had 41.4%. The Democrat, Mike Espy, 40.6%. They were really neck and neck. And so if this has the potential to sway more voters, independent voters, because they don't like what they're hearing and they feel like that's not the representation of Mississippi that they want on the, the national stage, it could potentially uh, make, uh, make Congressman Mike Espy the first, uh, the first senator, black senator, from Mississippi since 1800. Wow. The All 1800s. Right. We're in the sprint to the finish in Mississippi. We're going to have full coverage here at ABC News Live uh, on, at abcnews.com. We know that Mary Alice Rick Klein, happy birthday, Rick Klein, by the way, happy our political birthday. director, 42 years old today, Rick Klein. Uh, Lonzac, I'm sure he's watching that race. right now. We hope you're watching us. Uh, but real quick before we wrap, favorite Thanksgiving recipe we promised at the beginning? What are you oh. making? Well, I am making fried turkey with the Creole butter injections. That's, oh my gosh, that fantastic. sounds so and it has fancy. To be fried, it has to be fried in peanut Talk oil. Talk Southern. Let's wow. be clear. Delicious. I was telling you guys about this bourbon chocolate pecan pie that I've made oh. the last few years. It's a big favorite now in the family. Wow, sweet tooth. And I'm making some sausage sage stuffing. I don't Whoa. do it in the bird. I do it in a pan, but I know some people are Better in the pan. Like I'm, I'm, in with the I'm with uh, you. Let us that know. Great. Tweet at us uh, if you have uh, your favorite recipes and, of course, uh, your feedback from the show here. Great to have you with us on this holiday. We're thankful for you. Here at ABC News Live in the briefing room. For Lana Zach, Mary Alice Parks, I'm Devin Dwyer. Have a great holiday. We'll see you next time.